Welcome to Word from the Herd, produced and brought to you by the Kimmel Foundation for Recovering Leadership. Hello, welcome to Word from the Herd. I'm Thomas Hill, your host, and today I am joined by one of my favorite people, Scott Klosowski. Now, Scott's a really interesting guy. He has done a lot of things in his life, but almost all of them are associated with technology and, more importantly, the future of technology. Uh, He started a number of successful technology startup companies. Successful is the key word there. I know lots of people who claim to be uh, the founders of lots of things, but if they're not successful, I don't know that you've really accomplished anything, and and Scott's been very successful. But what what really interests me about that is that means that he's investing in the vision that he sees for the future of technology. So he's not just going around telling people what he thinks is going to happen. He's actually out there doing it in his own companies. And then he uh, speaks and travels and writes. Uh, A well-published author, his, I think, latest book is Did God Create the Internet? Which is a very interesting book. The one I like the most is The Velocity Manifesto. Those are two that I would recommend you put on your reading list. When I think about Scott, uh, the, the first thing I think of is he's wicked smart. I mean, that's just, the, that's just the, the reality. He's also a great listener, which is great because a lot of smart people aren't. And then he has a really cool sense of humor, which I think you're going to pick up on today. So, Scott, welcome to Word from the Herd. Thank you. And thank you for the giant buildup right there. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, we only, we only bring the best onto the show, and, and so you're on that list for sure, right yeah, at the top yeah. of it. And I am honored, honored to be here. Scott, I always start, uh, or don't always start, but always end up asking this question, so we're going to start today with this question, and that is, tell me a little bit about the worst job you ever had. Uh, the worst job I ever had, uh, oh, it's hard, I don't think in those terms, because you learn something from everything, but, but let's say when I first moved to Oklahoma uh, from Cleveland, Ohio, uh, I saw in the paper a job that would pay 1200 a month. And I thought, you know, that's fantastic. That's better than minimum wage. And I went and it was selling Kirby vacuum cleaners. And uh, at that, I I was fresh out of high school and had refused to go to college. And so uh, I thought, all right, $1,200 is $1,200. And uh, I jumped in. And so I sold Kirby vacuum cleaners for three months. And I would say, I, I hate to say worst, that was... You know, that was a wake-up call for an 18-year-old uh, going door-to-door selling vacuum cleaners in Oklahoma. Yeah, I was going to ask if it was door-to-door, so that's, that's pretty bad, I guess. Did that uh, cause you to think, hey, I may want to get an education and, and may want to move into, into an area that maybe is a little less walking door-to-door-ish? No. <laughs> oh, it, no. It, it actually didn't do that. What it did was it, it made me reevaluate, well, well, what do I want to do? And I thought, you know, I'd rather work my way up a company and not worry about the money. So I think the first job, I, I, all I looked at was how could I make the most money, you know, and instead I, I stepped back and said, all right, well, how can I go to work at a place that I could work my way up at that company and is just a good organization? Maybe I should try that. And I looked at it like instead of four years of college, what if I could work my way up through a company for four years? And that's exactly what I ended up doing. So, That's fantastic. I heard a couple of things there that I think are, are really significant. One, um, early in your life, you learned a lesson that 
uh, money doesn't equate to satisfaction or fulfillment in a role, right? I mean, yeah. you know, there's money's not a bad thing, but money will not make up for some things. And so you had an opportunity early on to understand that. I interact with a lot of leaders who maybe haven't learned that yet, right? They're still they're still seeking or searching for kind of the the trappings of success thinking that that's going to make them feel better or make them fulfilled when in reality if you're not doing something that you know has a, that's missional something that you can connect to you're probably not going to be happy no matter what they give you um, and then the other thing I picked up on was you know you sensed early on and saw that you wanted to be involved in organizations where you had opportunities to grow opportunities to move up opportunities to accomplish things and as leaders, isn't that one of the greatest things that we can do for our people is provide those, right? Provide those opportunities for people and know that that's what our people are looking for. They're looking for opportunities to, to transport themselves and to transform themselves. Yeah, I would say create an environment. I, I think one of, the, one of the coolest things we can do as a leader is to create an environment that, that is enriching and can allow people to grow and prosper. I mean, the company I work for, I started as a delivery boy. And then I went into work in the warehouse, and then I ran the warehouse, and then I went to the new computer department, and I worked my way up until I ran the computer department. I mean, that was seven years. I mean, but that organization allowed me to grow at, at 18, 19, 20 years old. Uh, you, you know, that's tremendous, you know, blessing. And um, was a great, I think, early experience for me when I became a leader and could build my own companies of, all right, Create an environment in which uh, people can grow and prosper. Uh, and it's, you know, that's to me one of the most honorable things you could do as a leader. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay, Scott, you, your life, you know, the, the, the pool that you swim in most of the time is the pool of technology and the future and the integration of technology with humans. You actually coined a term for that, which is humology. Humology. I love that term. I, I uh, just, for our listeners, uh, I got an opportunity to, to be in a, a workshop with Scott where we all got to create a superhero that we wanted to be, and, that, and he gave us the opportunity to actually incorporate technology enhancements to ourselves, which was a lot of fun. I, I really had a good time with that. I still have my superhero. I still keep it, you know, my little drawing I made. But most of the people that I run into... Uh, have a difficult time not just being absorbed with our present circumstances, especially in the situation that we're in right now uh, with the COVID crisis. Um, it's kind of all you can process some days, just where we are and what's happening to our businesses and what's happening to the community around us. There's so much uncertainty. So people kind of tend to get bogged down, but you're constantly encouraging people to look out into the future. That's a wonderful thing, but sometimes the future is a scary place. So tell me a little bit about how, you know, your experiences about how do you get people excited about and interested in a future that they're probably somewhat scared about? How do you paint those pictures without increasing that fear of the future? Well, some years ago, my mother sent me this article, and it was called The Archetype of a Visionary. Uh, and she said, she just sent the article and it said, this is you. And it was somebody who had written uh, a very good description of, of an archetype of a visionary. And, and it fit me to the T. When this person wrote about archetypes, they always wrote uh, a section that was called the dark side of the archetype. 
And the dark side of the visionary archetype is that you can look forward into the future and see a dark future. And so you're always worried, you know? I mean, you're always worried about what might come next. And that's the dark side of being a visionary. Uh, And that really struck me because I think this was some years ago. At that time in my life, that was true. I would look forward and I was always worried about what would happen tomorrow, what would happen next week, what would happen in a month, what would happen when I got older. Uh, so I, I worked on that and I really thought about, all right, well, what kind of visionary do I want to be? If I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to be accurate at helping clients predict the future, uh, I, I want to make sure that I'm not just, you know, creating a dark picture of a future because that's a bit of a human nature. So, uh, I really looked around and, and kind of studied history, and I said, all right, let's go back a thousand years. Uh, do we have any reason to believe that the next 10 years are going to be worse than the 10 years before? And if you really look at h- historically, the human race has improved for thousands of years. So I, I started to accept I, there's no logical reason to believe it's going to be worse in the future than it is today. That is just something that is culturally passed down. For instance, every generation thinks the next generation is going to ruin the world. That has gone on as long as I've been alive, and I'm sure before I've been alive. When I was young, it was the hippie era, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and my grandparents said that that generation was going to ruin the world. You know, I've just, you know, it's my observation that we have a bit of human nature of looking into the future and being uh, negative about it or dark or, or we fear things. Uh, I am not that way. So uh, I have become an optimist. I was not born an optimist. Really studying history and studying what's going on and being factual about uh, where humanity is going, there was no other option for me than to become an optimist and to admit and to be confident in the fact that we learn lessons. This year's a a perfect example. We've never responded to a pandemic this way before. It's the first time we've ever handled a pandemic worldwide the way we've handled this one. We have not handled it well, but we are learning lessons at an extremely high pace. The next time a pandemic comes around, we will be 300% better at how we deal with it. I mean, in the United States, but around the world. We have proven that we are like this as human beings. You know, we, we face challenges, we overcome the challenges, and we improve. Do we become perfect? Never. But we improve. And I am very optimistic about that. It's just like I'm very optimistic that this year will be looked at as a year where we step forward as a human race at a much higher pace than we did in 2018 or 19 only because of the challenges that we have to face. This is what allows me to be optimistic as a leader, is the combination of looking in the past and realizing it never got worse from decade to get decade. It's only gotten better as far as us being more humane or us having a higher standard of living or almost any other measurement. So combine that with the the obvious fact that we are really good at learning lessons and improving Put those together, you know, I I think everyone should look into the future and be hopeful, not look into the future and be fearful. That's fantastic. Two things you said that that really struck me. One, when you were talking about 
Um, every generation thinks the next generation is going to ruin the world. That's been going on for a long time. If you, you know, if you collapse that down in a leadership role, I often find leaders that are fundamentally afraid of the people who are coming up, you know, uh, coming up the ranks. And, and there's a tendency to not trust that they will handle things or that they will do things the right way. There's a tendency to want to micromanage and control. There's a ton of command and control going on. And, I, and all of that, I believe, is out of fear, fear that these new people, these young people, will not maintain or do or whatever. And the fact of the matter is, if you combine that with the other thing that you said, which is challenges always improve us. Uh, you know, incrementally, and you know, we do make some mistakes and, and cause some problems, but as a whole, as a unit, the, the human race, as you said, when challenges make us better because we figure things out and we test things. We were talking earlier about, you know, we're in a, in a huge test environment right now. Everybody is testing things they've never tested before, and we're going to figure out which ones work and which ones don't. And so that's true in leadership also, is that we have to allow our teams to, to try new things and to test things. And the challenges that occur, even if they're the ones we create ourselves out of inexperience, are how we learn and how we get better. And so that's a, that's a wonderful thing for, for leaders to be thinking about. So talk to me a little bit about, uh, as a leader, uh, it, it, th- this concept of being a visionary. Not all leaders are visionaries, but I think I've heard you talk enough that all of us can begin to practice, um, uh, you call it uh, high beam uh, thinking, where you're right. looking farther out in the future. Um, talk to us a little bit about that. As leaders, how do we create a mindset where we're looking out a little bit farther and, and helping to lead our people and our organizations better because we're, we're seeing things on the horizon. Yeah, well, first of all, I want to acknowledge what you said. I believe anyone can be high beam. I believe anyone can be accurately visionary. Just being visionary isn't really what you want. I mean, being accurately visionary is what you want. Anyone can paint a vision. It's, you know, can you be accurate at, at predicting what's coming? And we could even define accurate. Accurate doesn't mean you're 100% correct. It means maybe you're 75 or 80% correct, uh, which is better than you don't even have a vision, you know, for the future. Uh, about, about 15 years ago, I remember on a Friday, I was meeting with a, a CEO, and, uh, and the CEO was saying some of the things you said when you introduced me about, hey, you've built some technology companies and sold them, and they were all predicated on you saw some future trend in technology. Uh, why are you good at that? I'll never forget it. It's Friday. Why are you good at that? Uh, and I went home that weekend and I thought about, well, why have I been good at that? You know, I never thought about it. You know, I, I just always have been able to look at where technology is going and make pretty accurate predictions about what it will do. And I started thinking about it, and I thought, well, is this a God-given talent? You know, maybe I was standing in the line of future visionary, you know, before I was born, and you know, God put me in that line. And I realized that, that it's more a pattern of thinking. And it is a matter of looking at, for instance, trends and extrapolating trends accurately, saying this just started, where's it going to go? Like AI, you know, AI is a trend that's down the road a little ways. Uh, but, you know, where does it ultimately go? Where does machine learning or deep learning, where does it go? I mean, these are trends. You can just play them out. So I thought, okay, well, I do trend analysis well. Uh, and then I, I said, okay, well, what else do I do well? It's like, well, I don't 
ever get into habits or accept that the way things are today is the way they will always be. I just don't accept that. I also don't accept that they're right. So I, if I have anything that's God-given, I have the God-given gift of not having, of having a clean eye. You know, I don't look at any process, any system, and think that it is right. Everything is there for improvement. So I started that weekend thinking about, well, what are the steps that I do? And it's like, well, I assume that everything's going to get better. You know, I assume we'll improve. Uh, I assume these trends will extrapolate out. Uh, and, and I realized by the end of the weekend that there are steps you can go through that help you become more visionary or more accurate at being visionary. Uh, and, and a lot of it is trend spotting and then trend extrapolating. You know, what is, well, the seeds are already planted. So if the seeds are already planted and you're just starting to see a trend grow, play it out. Play out 20 trends and now you can see a different future. So that's what I learned about being high beam. And it, it is today in a, in a more, in a faster changing environment, there is more of a need for leaders to be high beam. So if, you're, if the world is changing very slowly, just like the analogy of high beams, you don't have to have the high beams on. You can have your regular headlights on, you're okay. But in a world that's changing quickly, like a vehicle moving quickly, you need to see further ahead more accurately, or, or you don't make the right investments. You don't make the right decisions. So that's, uh, to me, anyone can be high beam. You might have to build the skill, but it's just a skill that you can build if you practice it. That's awesome. I was thinking about, you know, and you keep talking about optimism for the future. You have a podcast, right? Digital Optimist. Yes. You coin I'm, that sounds like something you would coin. So you're you're the digital optimist, which I think is fantastic. I was thinking the other day when I was thinking about you that most people, when they think about the future and they're experiencing change, we tend to go dystopian, right? If you look at science fiction books and movies, they're almost the futures are almost all dystopian. You know, technology takes over. You know, it's the Terminator thing, right? The the AI becomes sentient and then tries to kill us all or, or, or whatever. But, but you have looked at the future and said, hey, I'm going to see, I'm going to choose to see this optimistically. So here we are. We're in 2020. Um, nobody thought a year ago that this is what this summer would look like, that a large amount of our workforce would be at home, uh, working from home, working remotely, doing things differently. Uh, a lot of companies are struggling right now. So talk to me a little bit about the, the, the concept of technology, working from home, those kind of things. But what I'm really interested in is back to that humology deal. What impact do you see that having on us as human beings? And then maybe more importantly, and I know I'm putting a lot into one question, more importantly, as a leader, what should I be looking for and what should I be doing? Because at the end of the day, at least the way we talk about leadership, our people are the most important thing, not our products or our technology, but it's, it's people. It's the, it's the community that we have built or that we're trying to build. How do we protect that? How do we nurture that with the stuff that you see going on right now? Okay. Uh, let me acknowledge, first of all, that, that uh, this pandemic has been devastating to a lot of people and to a lot of businesses. So uh, I'm optimistic. And, and, and I'll talk more about that. And I want to raise this up to a bigger, a higher level picture. But I do want to acknowledge the people out there. People are dying. Uh, organizations are impacted tremendously. 
you know, th this has been an extremely difficult year on a lot of people. Uh, let's step back for a second. If I look at this, you know, get from the proverbial 30,000 feet, uh, I'm fascinated by this year, and I'm fascinated by the cause and effect. So uh, when it comes to humology and the impact of humans and technology, when we did an emergency work from home, which no one predicted, no one knew, you know, not me, not anybody else would have predicted that. The pandemic, Bill Gates said it at TEDx. I mean, you know, people have been talking about pandemics for a while. We've kind of had, you know, previews of pandemics over the last decade. So predicting a pandemic, not that odd. Predicting a massive worldwide work from home, no, that was something I don't think people predicted. Uh, that was a response that we chose because we kind of felt like we might be able to do it. You know, a decade ago, we didn't have the tools to just say, everybody go from home, but let's keep working. We have the tools now. And so those tools enabled us to do an emergency work from home on a worldwide scale. And in the United States, what we found is the economy didn't, didn't bottom out. I mean, there are lots of organizations that are just as productive and making just as much money with everyone working from home. I don't think anybody would have believed that until we were inspired to do it this year. Uh, the impact of that has been interesting, and I'm sure you know all of the listeners, they'll relate to this in different ways. You know, There are some people that this was the best thing that ever happened to them, was having months and months at home. It's, it enabled them to redo their work-life balance, uh, add new habits or change things in real positive ways. There are other people completely opposite. This is the worst thing that ever happened to them. They lost their jobs. It's been terrible. Uh, from a technologist viewpoint, the, the uh, comment that people have made that the digital transformation moved five years forward in six months this year is a really interesting and probably true statement because it forced people to use technology in ways they never had. It forced organizations. You know, I don't know how many clients we have that got on Teams that should have gotten on Teams two years ago. Right? But as soon as they sent everybody home, they needed a better collaboration platform. Immediately, they were on Teams. Well, by the end of this, they will be absolute experts at using that platform, which will enable them to do things in the future they wouldn't have done. So, so that's an interesting aspect of how it's pushed technology forward this year. The human-machine impact, we're feeling in ways like Zoom fatigue. So I'm sure everyone you know, who, who has to sit on Zoom calls for five days, right, or video conferencing calls, you know, we're all starting to experience uh, video conferencing fatigue. Uh, and it's because uh, although a little bit of that would be fine or doing it over, with somebody overseas or doing it with somebody on the other part of the country, you know, all of that is good. Doing it seven out of eight hours of a day is exhausting and it's not the way we're meant to communicate. You know, we are more built to communicate in person you know, sitting face-to-face, -face, getting the body cues that you can't get on video. Uh, so there, you know, you, you look at just something like video conferencing, you go, what a blessing. We're able to keep the economy going. And on the other side, you look at, okay, we're only a few months into this and we're already sick of it, right? So there's going to have to be a balance that we fall back to that is not seven, eight hours a day on video conferencing. Or we can look at automation, uh, there was a not-for-profit that uh, sent everybody to work from home. 
a large not-for-profit, and the way they did their payables was that people sent them invoices, and then they keyed the invoices into their system, they printed out a check, and then the CFO signed all checks. But when they sent everybody home, they couldn't do payables because they couldn't do that process anymore. So they moved it all online, like just instantly. They dropped their old payable system, went to a fully online payable system. It's all automated now. So that's part of that moving forward, you know, five years. Now there's an impact of that because there was a person that used to get those invoices, process them, key them in, and then print the checks and take them over to the CFO. They don't need that person anymore. So, so the automation is fantastic, but there's a human impact to that. And as leaders, all of what I just said is our realm of responsibility of how do we find balance and how do we deal with this within, within our teams? Uh, you know, how do we um, help people not be on Zoom seven, eight hours a day? We're going to start thinking about that instead of being giddy that we have these tools and can continue to do work. We're going to start thinking about these things or automation. It makes us more profitable. You know, that's fantastic. But we're going to have to deal with the human impact of, all right, what do we do with the people whose jobs were just automated? Uh, you know, do we help them find another job and, you know, give them a runway to do that? Or do we up upskill them and allow them to stay in the organization? So this year is going to be a huge catalyst of integrating humans and technology. And there will be huge responsibilities for those of us as leaders of how we deal with that. That's, that's very interesting. And obviously our organization is, is dealing with those exact things. I think, I think most organizations are. Um, the few minutes we have left, Scott, I want to ask you a, a question kind of a little bit off topic, but, but from your perspective, um, if you had an opportunity to sit down with a group of you know, younger leaders, emerging leaders, um, and again, you're a high beam guy, you're a visionary guy, and, and th- these are the people who are going to usher us into the next decade of, of, of things that are going on, what would be your advice to them? What would you tell them? And, and I'm sure you get those opportunities. So I do. You, you're probably, you probably have a, a canned thing, but just give it to us. What would you give an emerging or a young leader today? In no particular order, it, you know, obviously young leaders today are going to, they're going to deal with the back end of a digital transformation that moves faster than the front end is that, you know, you and I are having to deal with. So they're going to have to be very good with technology with their own hands and really understanding how to bake it into a strategy. If they make a mistake with, let's say, uh, data activation, right, or AI, it could be fatal to their organization. So they're going to have to be really, really good at technology strategy. Uh, On the other side of that, they're going to have to be very good with humans. So one of the things I, I tell young leaders all the time is, here's a mistake not to make. As technology becomes more and more important and it takes over more and more of the work that's done in an organization, you'll have less and less people per dollar of revenue, RPE, right? Revenue per employee. So as that happens, so let's just say you had an insurance company, it took 500 people to do a billion dollars. You know, uh, in a couple of years, it's going to take 250 people to do $2 billion. And you might say to yourself, well, the people aren't as important anymore. And the opposite is true. It's more, you are condensing more talent and more skill into less people, and they are more critical than they've ever been. So with young leaders, I like, hey, look at two roads. One road is you better be great at technology. The other road is you better be way better with humans than we have been. They are not cogs in a machine anymore. They are not highly replaceable anymore. 
You are going to have to be fantastic at building cultures, building teams, uh, new organizational structures, inspiring people. And if you, if you lose that, all the technology in the world isn't going to help you. So I, I share that with them. And then I, I share other things like while we're talking about human beings, let's talk about, let's get rid of bias, you know, once and for all. Let's get rid of gender bias. Let's get rid of ethnic bias. Let's get rid of any kind of bias that's out there because we're, I think we're close to being able to do that with the young generations. I find the young generations are so less biased than the older generations. So I just keep encouraging the young generations, just keep going where you're headed, right? Let's just get completely rid of bias and let's, you know, equal representation on boards of directors, you know, equal representation in your leadership team. You can do it. Like your generation is a generation that can get rid of bias. So, you know, please focus on things like that. And then a topic you and I hit, don't chase the money, you know, and that's old guy advice, right? Is what I'd say to young leaders is, uh, you know, don't chase, don't chase the money. You have to make money. You have to be profitable. You have to, but don't chase the money as the reason that you're doing things, you know, have your social causes, have the reason, you know, that the organization exists. Uh, you know, you will find if you chase the money, it is a bad ending. It is a bad ending. I don't care how profitable you are, it'll be a bad ending. And so I really encourage them to think about what they're leading in a lot higher level terms than just, I have a money-making machine I'm in charge of. You know, no. You know, you're building an environment and a team, uh, a foundation. Uh, you're providing value in the world. Please understand what that value is. And it's not just the product that you sell. And, you know, spend your career building a wonderful platform of value that you can hand off to somebody else. So that, that's a lot of the advice I give young people. That is fantastic. And uh, so cons- completely and consistently in line with uh, what we are always talking about here at the foundation, which is, you know, the intrinsic and equal value of all the people that are around us. And, and that's what I'm hearing you say is that we, we're looking for leaders. And in a lot of cases, that's going to be the next generation of leaders to really move that forward. And so we've got this huge technology shift going on that we didn't ask for, but that we get to participate in. But we also have an opportunity to make a huge human shift and really step up our game in terms of valuing people and demonstrating that in organizations. And you're right, if you're chasing the money, you tend to devalue people. You tend to use people so that you can get money. We should use money to help people. Yeah. Hey, I got one thing I want to say for your podcast specifically, because in, in this world of everyone has equal value, I have one piece of, I, I don't even say it's advice, it's one thing I would love for everybody to try that's out there that's a leader. Get rid of your hierarchical pyramid org charts and move to round org charts. So I did that years ago. Uh, Walt Disney did it in the 30s. So instead of a hierarchical military-looking org chart, you change it to a round org chart where... The center are the leaders, and the edges are the people who are closest to the customer. And then the pie slices are the departments, right? But but the model here is the people in the middle are like the hub, but they are not the wheel. The wheel that actually makes the company great is made up of the people who are closest to the customers. Right. And so you can redo an org chart in that manner Uh, And you can make your organization be so much less hierarchical looking to the young generations. And that says to people that I believe everyone's equal. 
when I have an org chart that is round and is a wheel and is not a hierarchical pyramid. So that's the one thing I wanted to make sure that I said to everybody, because if you're a leader and you want to say things like, I believe everybody has equal value, then don't do a pyramid org chart that says, oh, but me as a leader, I'm seven levels above you. Right. Let's visually get rid of that. So that was the one thing I wanted to make sure I shared with everybody. That is fantastic. Scott, thank you so much for being with us today. I, I learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners are, are going to learn a lot as they listen. And just really appreciate you taking time. This has been Word from the Herd. We've appreciated having you with us and hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you for joining us today on Word from the Herd, a production of the Kimmel Foundation. For more information about the Kimmel Foundation, visit us at thekimmelfoundation.com or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at thekimmelfdn. Please share this podcast and join us again next week for another Word from the Herd.